Today's guest on the show is Rob Novo, and I am super stoked that he has come on the show. He is in Central Florida, um, one of the guys leading the charge down there. We get into all that. And he's also an anesthesiologist, and he's come on to discuss foiling, but also to discuss health and training uh, surrounding our sport. So I think that there will be some takeaways from this. Uh, We get to quiz a doctor and we pinged Instagram there were a lot of questions that came in and the funniest was there were three people who wrote in about how to keep your legs the same size while foiling um which is something we've all gone through I'm not going through it as much anymore like the balance that I'm riding now seems to I have leveled out my legs they they're looking a little bit more normal now which is good but um yeah so so Rob's on the show and I loved catching up with him um, and learning from Rob. This is my favorite thing about the show is that you get an hour and a half to just pick someone's brain, someone generally incredibly smart and learn. And I love learning. So it's pretty cool. Before we dive in, a couple notes. Uh, the first note is that the 125 and 200 are about to come out. And I just got about a week and a half ago the final, final version of the 200. And I wanted to go through something that I thought was pretty incredible um, from a feel standpoint. So and I'll give a little background on prototyping and testing and then and then what this last um, kind of discovery has been. And that is so when we do the prototypes and, uh, you know, this has been the process through through the whole progression range. Cliffy's the designer, absolute genius. He actually makes the prototypes. We've talked about this in South Africa. So the first prototypes are coming out of South Africa. He's using an MDF mold. And um, we realized, you know, we've talked about this before as well, that there was some variation once we get to foil number two, three, four, five, uh, compression and heat started to decay the mold. And so we were getting, you know, some really bad feels out of later foils. Well, we solved that. We're using something different from the mold now. Um, and so final proto for acceptance before real molds happens from Cliffy. And then, so final proto comes from Cliffy, we accept it, and then it goes to uh, the factory. And the factory produces the real mold, and then generally speaking, I get a fully finalized version of that foil. Well, this time there was an intermediate step. This time I actually got a foil from the mold, but without the same finishing on it. So it was kind of a rough finish. And then about a month and a half later, a month later, I got the final version, which was about two weeks ago. And so, you know, I've talked about the incremental jump in the efficiency and speed of the foils from in the prototyping process. I attributed most of that to the molds and just the fact that the uh, aluminum molds coming out of the real factory are just that much more precise. But with having two foils come out of the same mold with different finishings, I was able to see and feel exactly what the difference was in a finish on a foil. And it's it's really incredible. So from a kind of a rough 
um, not hot coated, uh, all the pit holes filled in to the final perfect version. It's about a, I don't know, 5% difference in feel, which means that, and, and here's where I'm going with this. It means that whenever we're getting these little scratches on our foil or they start to get, look a little bit beat up, we're actually losing a lot of efficiency because it doesn't look that much different. And these foils are exactly the same minus the finish. And that was something that I was always selling a little bit. I just didn't really think I, th I figured that once you build up a boundary layer with a little bit of speed that the air, you know, the, wa the, the, the water flow over the foil would kind of take care of itself. But that's not the case. Um, you know, it's about a 5% difference in feel and especially in top end speed is where I was feeling it the most. Um, I don't think the low end is that much better, but you know, on downwinders, I did a downwinder a couple nights ago and it's just much more slippery in the water. And I, and I feel it on the pump as well. I feel just like a little bit more, I don't know, maybe three tenths of a second, half a second more glide that I can kind of just stall out there, you know, hang high on a pump, which is a big difference. It's a big deal. And so it's made me rethink a lot of things. And, and I love it when, you know, we've been saying a long time that this has gone from a game of, um, uh, you know, millimeters to tenths of a millimeter and degree shims to quarter degree shims. And this is just another one of those things that, you know, the incremental improvement in the future is going to be, you know, maybe foil design, it won't evolve too much from this point forward, but I think we're going to start figuring out all of the little things and, you know, maybe we're 90, 95% of the way there, or maybe there's going to be some big breakthrough, who knows? But if we're 90, 95% of the way there, the next you know, five to 10% is going to come through material science. It's going to come through, you know, making our foils rock solid. And then it's going to come through finishing and that's exciting. And, and 5% makes a huge difference. So just stoked me out. And I thought that I would share that because I love it when those things surprise me. And I love that I'm still getting surprised this far down the line in my foiling journey. So, um, thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the podcast with Rob and always feel free to hit me with questions, comments, feedback, and send it. Rob, thanks for coming on the show. What's going on? <laughs> Not much. Thanks for having me, Eric. This is awesome. We talked, it had to be about a year ago, and we got into some pretty deep health and consciousness stuff surrounding foiling, and then always thought about doing this. And then you hit me up a couple days ago with some thoughts, and I was like, let's just hop on a show and do it. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Thanks. Uh, yeah. It's been obviously a long time listener. So it's cool to be on this side. Heck yeah. To start things off, give us some background on who you are and your foiling journey, but also your medical journey as well. All right. Well, I let's see. As far as medicine side, I am an anesthesiologist. Been in practice for almost 13 years now. Did my undergrad at University of Miami. That's where I'm originally from. Med school at Nova Southeastern after I took a year off and was at UCSD in San Diego and then did my residency in Detroit through Michigan State and learned that I missed Florida a lot more than I ever thought <laughs> and <laughs> came right here and I've been in Brevard County and in, in the Atlantic ever since 2011 in a private practice group so I'm a I'm one owner of we fluctuate but right now we're like 24 docs in my group so i'm one of the 24 and yeah we 
that's what I, that's my daily job. <laughs> and then foiling is the foiling is the other job. <laughs> and <laughs> Matt from down uh, there hit me up. I posted on Instagram yesterday and he was so frothy that you're coming on the show. Uh, and the first oh, thing yeah. he said though, is that, and I didn't know this, but he said that you are the glue of central Florida foiling that most <laughs> foilers got into foiling because of your stoke and that you're the guy leading the charge down there and keeping the froth so high. So I love that. I feel like I do this yeah, here a little bit. So that, that's very, yeah, it's, yeah, it's fine. Cause I like our crew stretches from here to Cocoa beach. So some of the Cocoa beach guys like Latham and, and Billy definitely keep it together up there. And then we all meet up either up there or up down here. But yeah, since my house has become the meeting spot for a bit now, and it's fun to have everybody over. And honestly, it's a lot of guys that come from different disciplines. And obviously most of us are surfers first and foremost, but that's how we all got into it. And then it's been fun. Everybody's got their own learning curve and we've all done it together. I got into it. Well, let's see. I mean, yeah, lifelong surfer, but I started kiting about six and a half years ago before my daughter was born and thinking like, I got to pick up this because I work every morning and every afternoon is windy. And like, I got to do it now before I have kids and who knows, I'm going to learn anything new. And obviously that wasn't the end of it. And then started kite foiling about three, two or three years after that, I guess. And then, so that's how I learned to foil. And then picked up my first prone foil setup, a lift setup with a, a classic 200 one piece monoblock wing with the original lift, like four, six board, and then tried prone foiling and got humbled big time for, I mean, I put the stuff away for like, I think literally six months, maybe even more. I don't know. I had it for a while there and I just was over it. And then, then I had some other buddies around here doing it. My buddies Rod and Graham and they were, I'd see them do it. And I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. And all it took was just going on the right day. I have to like, look at it differently. And then how it is like looking for those mushy days. And then as soon as I looked for the right day, then it clicked because I had the balance point and the understanding from kite foiling. It was a totally different setup, but it, at least it was there. And then after that, I was hooked. <laughs> and now I won't like, a, like the rest of us, I won't surf unless it's chest high or bigger. And then if it is too big, we tow or something else anyway. So foiling <laughs> pretty much there's the two ends of spectrum of foiling super small or really big and closed out. And you know how it is. And then try to surf in between. <laughs> yeah, the um, window but, of good yeah. surf in Florida is such a narrow margin. Such a narrow margin. It really is. And I don't know if I it mean, happens like, to you, but a lot of the days that I'm like, oh, today's a surf day. I'm going to go out there within about 45 minutes. I'm like, I should have just towed. What am I doing? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, like when I still do travel and I have my brother and my friend live in California. So when I do travel over there, we have a place in Nicaragua. That's how I know actually Brian Finch. So and I do, I miss getting barreled and I do miss that stuff. But yeah, like when I'm here, I don't know, there's some days that are okay. And then, then I don't know. And, and it's funny because like a lot of the days that I enjoy surfing here, I kind of surprise where they're not typically the day I would have thought would have been really fun. And those turned out be, to be more fun. But yeah, the toe foil days are really like, I mean, that's, that just has opened up the whole new kind of how to have a surf trip in your own backyard business over here for sure. It's mental. So, the ski has is. been by far the best investment in board sports that I have ever made for less than the yeah. price of a ski trip. <laughs> exactly. Less we, than uh, 
We went to Sun and if Valley. You split this. it with somebody, you can do it better. <laughs> yeah, that's what we did. I split it and yeah. we did Sun Valley this year. And about halfway nice. through the yeah. trip, I was like, I should have bought another ski. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Every time, I mean, my wife's a really good skier. She's from Northern Michigan. So that's like the one thing we do together every year. Like she can, we can go all over the mountain together. So we have to go skiing and the kids like it. But every time I go after like a couple of days, I'm like, man, anybody can just buy a lift ticket and go up here. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to just go foil by myself. That's the thing, right? It's like, yeah, I, I classify fun into different groups. And I, the lowest, like on the tier for me, like the lowest fun, I call it idiot fun. And it's like roller coasters or like stuff that you can just pay and get on and go, right? right. You're, just, yeah. you're like being entertained through adrenaline and yeah. Um, I feel like skiing is a couple rungs up from that, like at the, on the mountain, taking the ride. Yeah. On the, yeah. In the, yeah. Right. Of course, if you go back countryside, country yeah, stuff, yeah. completely different story, but yeah, I totally agree. And yeah, I look at it that way. I don't, but it's still, it is enjoyable, but yeah, if you don't get the right conditions, you're like, yeah, I'd rather foil knee high waves. <laughs> yeah. well, I absolutely love snowboarding. And I should say that it's my favorite family sport. We did a winter probably about three years ago where we did like 45 days, 50 days on the mountain, me and my daughter and son. And it was my favorite winter. Hands oh, down. That's ever. amazing. Yeah. yeah, that's, it was, yeah. We were that's living cool. up North and still soul searching after our trip back, after we moved back to the state. So we were living up North and mm -hmm. like within, it's funny within about, I don't know, it was probably November 20th or 30th. I just realized we're inland and I was like, I'm not going to make it to be the winter. I was like, what does the family feel if we pull you guys out of school, we homeschool, and we go live in a mountain? And everyone was like, yeah. sure. And I was like, let's go. <laughs> yeah, that's the way to do it. Gosh, yeah, that's definitely a dream for us. I know my wife would be all about that. Yeah, we're still trying to figure out how to get more than one or two weeks a year out there, but that's okay. All right, so let's, I want to get into some foiling stuff later, but what I would really like to focus on in this show is some of the questions that we probably all have around staying healthy, staying at peak performance, avoiding injuries. I'm 43. I think a lot of guys listening to this show are in that range right now where our mind's still 25, but our body is not. And mm -hmm. it's hard yep. to keep pace. And the one thing about foiling that's crazy is that, I mean, speaking personally, I have never been like a runner distance type guy. And now all of a sudden I'm doing things that are so outside the scope of what I've ever done in my life, like downwinding and all of that. And it's taken some time. I've actually had to start focusing on off days on doing like zone two cardio. Cause I realized a couple months ago, I am either heart rate 55 or heart rate 170. <laughs> Those are the two modes that yeah. I operated. And I yeah. was like, I did some research. I was like, that's probably not good. Let's start <laughs> putting in some like one twenties in there. Yeah. So yep. Why don't we start yeah. with what is your current like routine, staying healthy in the water? And then we can dive into some area specific areas after that. Uh, well, uh, yeah. So I, I'm also 43, I'm about five, six, one forty-five, And I've been about that weight for a while. So I think one of the most important things that I learned early on was not fluctuating in weight. And once I accepted being a smaller guy, I just started to focus more on the sports that lend themselves to my body type, I guess. Surfing being one, I got into cycling a lot and then gotten out of that because just road bike 
over here on the roads are a little sketchy. So I still mountain bike. I actually did it this morning on our Florida trails over here just to do something else and just stay in shape. And that's been helpful. And I think, I mean, as a physician, I did understand a lot about, especially with what I do with work, physiology is important with my job, but cycling helped a lot to start understanding the training routines and like how, because with that and, or like say distance running, or there's a bunch of other sports that are in that realm where stamina is everything. And you step away from that for like even just a week or two, and you're almost back to square one. You can ask any cyclist or triathlete, they'll agree. And so it was really tough to try to stay at that level all the time to be able to keep doing these races and riding with these groups and stuff like that. So yeah, that's when I started to learn about a lot about the interval training and then, and how to taper the training off, depending on what you're trying to get ready for the recovery days and the importance of the recovery days. And basically the importance in the sense that they're just as important as the days that you're training hard. And I, I've definitely, it's helped translate into foiling because I mean, just like everybody else, I love it. And I Sometimes I do it numerous days in a row, but I start to realize you start to notice like slight performance changes, or maybe you're not staying up on foil as long. And that's when I realized, okay, I need to take a day off or do another, maybe like a more, the next day I'll just do like a one hour yoga session or just more like just simple things, go ride the bike and not ride the bike hard or something, just ride the bike, go for a walk on the beach, <laughs> little things like that. And that's helped to temper that, that drive and try not to lose too much on the gains that you're getting from what you're doing with. And I'll use pumping as the, I think the thing that a lot of people can relate to, because that's where it is essentially interval training. When you're, you go for one, you're going from almost rested state to heart rate in the hundreds easily. So yeah, I think that's important. Just maintaining that, that rest days are almost just as important and you have to treat them that way and it's not just like sit on the couch rest days it's it's just more of a tempo type exercise things like that yeah that, that makes a lot of sense to me on the off days and actually i'll use this weekend as an example here we had last week was basically flat i did one flat water practice day and then got a couple chips on another day but it was as off of a week as i can possibly have and then starting friday we got really fun surf up here and so Friday, it was like, I never come in rested and it was just mental. I mean, I did so, I mean, five, four minute plus runs on video plus another, I don't know. I was probably on foil for half an hour over a two and a half hour session, two hour session, something like that. Just unreal. Saturday went back with the same enthusiasm. It was almost the same result up on foil, just a ton. Sunday, probably, I mean, a really good day as well. Maybe the best day. And yeah. longest run was less than two minutes. It yeah. was just, and I don't know if that is just muscle fatigue. I mean, cause I'll get so swirl pumped so much that walking down the stairs in the morning, my legs are a little bit shaky when I get out of bed. Yeah. Yeah. But, oh, yeah, totally. And then I'm sure. hitting the hypervolt really hard. And then generally, yeah, I was going to say try those to, are helpful for sure. Yeah. That thing's awesome. And then I'll do like yeah. a, I don't know, 15 minute bike ride at like a hundred heart rate to try to just, I don't know if this is actually a real thing, but to try to clear some like, the lactic acid just yeah out lactic acid legs. for sure yeah that's exactly what we would do in cycling for you'd train hard a couple of days two or three days and then that third day you're just basically going at 
12 miles an hour just trying to clear lactic acid for sure. Okay. So that's a real thing. That's, yeah. Um, yeah. And it is, especially even, and even though you don't think it is because you feel the lactic acid primarily like an hour or two after you do the hard, the hard activity or whatever, but really the next day, even though you don't necessarily feel it because you're not doing it, you might have whatever coming home from work or whatever, you haven't noticed it, but it is important to clear it at that point because everything also works through the lymphatic system and the, just getting your heart rate back to that tempo range in the 80s to 100s and just it'll start to circulate and start to start clearing it a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. And I definitely, exact as you were describing it from Friday, Saturday, I knew exactly what you were going to say because <laughs> so, so I knew it because like, I think I worked pretty late Friday and it was, by the time I got home, it was just downpouring over here, lightning and stuff. But there was a little swell starting to show. I think you guys got it earlier. Sunday was definitely the best day here. And we all surfed. Like I know, like Jeremy and I were out Saturday. Oh no, he wasn't out with me Saturday. We were all out Sunday, a big group of us. And him and I were out for about two hours or so. And it was like good that I Saturday I took it easy. Like it was weird. It was getting like it wasn't really starting to show yet. And then Sunday it was on. So it was good that. I was like, okay, I almost thought about going back out again on Saturday. I'm like, nope, just save it. I know Sunday's going to be decent. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm getting better about that. But yeah, I do those like three or four days in a row. And then next thing you know, you're like, yeah, I might as well have ridden a wing that doesn't even pump because it's not like I'm able to pump today anyway. Oh, man. Yeah. So it's not just yeah. me. Actually, I know it's not just me. Yeah. yeah, of course not. The thing that's crazy to me, though, is I foil with like Austin Tovey and some guys who are a lot younger. Their recovery yeah. is so much better. Like we'll send, we we sent this like really hard downwinder and Jack from Hawaii, he's here, he moved back to Florida, the three of us sent. And it was like, it was a grind. It was six miles and started off okay. The wind died and I mean, it, it was so hot. And the last <laughs> three miles was basically pumping. And it was one of those sessions where if I wasn't with them, I would 100% have called it and came in and just been like, yeah. I'm over this, but I hadn't fallen yet. I was right there. Like, and so, so you keep going and yeah. And we get back and Austin was on the same grind that I was. He rested for like a half an hour and then wind popped back up and he sent it again. It's just like, oh, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's pretty, yeah, I know Austin too. And I'm like, yeah, at, at this stage I learned a few years ago. Yeah. We don't recover the same way. We actually have to like, so I think it's like, it becomes more of like an active recovery versus at that age where, yeah, you could go, you go on a surf trip, you go surf in the morning, you come back and have lunch and go surf again, come back and have a couple beers and you surf again. And it was not a problem. And I think now what, I don't know what age it happens or what, it's different for everybody, of course, but it becomes more of an active recovery phase where you have to focus on your hydration afterwards. You have to focus on your nutrition and then I think probably one of the most important things that really gets overlooked is sleep. And I'm not talking about like really the, like not necessarily the amount of sleep, but more the quality of sleep and the routines and things like that and the habits revolving sleep. I think that gets overlooked more than most things. And, and I think you can get away with a lot if you stay on that, those good habits. But yeah. yeah. Sleep's the biggest one for me, for sure. And it was really yeah. interesting. I got COVID in October, maybe last year, and it changed my sleep schedule. It took me months to get back to where I was getting good sleep again. It was the weirdest thing. 
And I know yeah. that was psychosomatic. I don't know what it was, but, and I didn't really put the COVID connection together until I started looking back on it. And it was really like, cause you could actually see it in my like resting heart rate went up for a little while and all that. Yeah, no, the, vi- the viruses are definitely do some weird things like that. I mean, I mean, just for example, that whole loss of taste and smell thing. I mean, the, they have all sorts of issues where, you know, and once you get off of those kind of cycles, you almost have to like, like I, I try to use like the melatonin even just for a couple nights just to mm-hmm. get back on that and then things like that help. And I remember one of the, I think when I, so I first got COVID like pre-vaccine and it was at work, of course. Yep. <laughs> and then, and like, I remember my wife came home. She's also a doctor. So she came home with a couple of things and it was primarily supplements and vitamins, D3 and but melatonin was also one of the things. And I thought, wow, like why? Like, I don't think this is all that important, but she had already heard about some of those effects and I stayed on and luckily it didn't really affect my sleep. And yeah, of course, within a couple of days, I was back foiling. I was just trying to figure out who can watch my kids so I can go surf again, but <laughs> it wasn't all that bad. <laughs> my next door neighbor here is a cardiologist who is the team doctor for a few colleges in the area. And we had some conversations around COVID and coming back from it. And he said that he recommends that for about a month after COVID, you do not put yourself in any like higher heart rate type situations that like if one of the athletes got COVID, they were basically almost sidelined for a month. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, there, there's a lot stuff. of the recommendations. I mean, and it's true. I, and I totally agree with them because I know like early on, once we started going back to we're kind of like the gatekeepers with like elective surgeries and stuff as anesthesiologists. Mm-hmm. And we, our guidelines changed a lot. And at first it was six weeks minimum after COVID. And then it was like, it was like case by case basis, but a lot of it did revolve. It ended up falling within that, like four to six weeks really didn't recommend elective surgery. And especially some of the bigger ones, like the total joints and stuff like that, where yeah, people did have some and it wasn't so much getting them through surgery safely or anything like that. It had mostly to do with that, those post-operative issues. And I, I definitely agree with them. I mean, I noticed that, that when I first got COVID, that first go round, I went to go, I foiled a couple times, but like short, nothing major. But I remember when I went to go pump up a kite, I went to go kite or kite foil. I don't remember what it was, but I was like really out of breath. And I was like a week out already at that point, which was strange and definitely never happened to me with any other virus, but yeah, that's been a weird one altogether for sure. Yeah. Let's talk nutrition a little bit. And I, one of the things I'm experimenting with right now is are supplements that are helping in the recovery. So I am, I've started taking a lot more protein. I absolutely love ProMix nutrition. I know the guy who started it and I, I talk to him every once in a while. And I think that as foilers, we're probably the majority of us probably don't get as much protein. And this is what Al was telling me, the guy who runs ProMix. Is that like if we're putting out, we're basically doing high intensity interval training once or twice a day, almost every day, our protein intake should be like someone who's bodybuilding essentially. And so yeah. I'm doing a couple protein shakes a day and then some amino acids on top of that. Every once in a while, I'll do creatine. I don't like to do creatine all the time, but if I'm feeling like more run down or I've had some really hard sessions, I'll do post creatine to try to get some stores back on that. What are you doing? And what do you think would be a recommended regimen for someone who's sending it as hard as us? 
Yeah, I think we're pretty calorie deficient after a lot of this stuff. And I think protein is important primarily for the recovery phase. And, and I think supplements, I think everybody has to find their own kind of way in that. But I do think that there is a lot when it comes to just because you don't want to lose so much, right? We're not, and the bodybuilding is a pretty good analogy in the sense that we're sending it that hard, but at the same time, we're not trying to bulk up, right? So, so it's a, it's a balance with trying to restore and not get behind the eight ball. So I think, yeah, I think protein's huge. I personally don't use a lot of supplements I have in the past. I'm just more focused on trying to get, I'm not like vegetarian or anything. I eat, eat pretty much everything, do a lot of fish and a lot of veggies. So I try to go heavy on that when I can and try to space it out so that depending on if I'm going to try to go out again in the afternoon, I try to space it out. So I'm not just getting like a protein dense meal and then try to go out again later. Cause just the amount of time it takes to digest some of those meals is tough. Um, that's where I think the supplements are really helpful. I personally stay away from like some of the maldodextrins kind of stuff. It's just had bad effects on my stomach when I do that stuff. So I, most of the stuff, if I think I'm going to go back out for like another session, I focus more on just the electrolyte balance and do like, if I'm going protein, I'll do more like some more kind of veggie type protein and cut out the heavy fats and stuff like that. If I can, if it's meat types things, that seems to help. That's been my recipe, but yeah, I think a lot of Everybody's got to find their own way on that stuff too. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, incredibly personal, not just from like a belief standpoint or anything like that of what you're eating, but also from a physiology, chemistry, personal chemistry. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I, I figured out the stuff that works for me, especially like prior to, to foiling in the morning, like I, I am like, so, I don't know, predictable as far as my routine. I'm like every day it's oatmeal before I go foil and I don't ever skip. And I, and even if I'm only going to go out for like an hour, I'll just make sure I get that on board early on so that I have like some kind of slow release carbs and it doesn't sit heavy on my stomach. There's no, no milk products and stuff like that. And that seems to really do the trick. And I do realize that the, the difference is when I don't do that versus when I do that. And I experimented with different foods and figure out what works and like silly things. Like a couple of times I remember like having you know, especially if you have like a whole avocado where you're like, okay, that's pretty good nutrition. And then you go try to go surf or foil and <laughs> you realize not the best idea. But yeah, I think everybody you do your little research and start to learn and everybody's responds a little bit differently and metabolizes it differently. And I, yeah, I figure out the stuff that works for me and I just try to keep it going. It's tough when you travel though. And I think that's where the supplements are really helpful because you don't know where you're going to, what you're going to get or what meal you're going to get it or where you're going to get it from, I should say. And I think that's where the supplements are really good too. Yeah, I agree. I I've been on this like Mediterranean breakfast kick lately, a couple hard boiled eggs with olive oil and salt and pepper. Yeah. Piece of toast. And that's why my wife does the same thing. <laughs> so good. Same thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah no, that I is perfect. I used to fast a lot in the mornings. I used to do a lot of time restricted eating. And I think it's like when I was really heavy into training in sup surfing, when I was competing, I would, mm -hmm. I had to start eating another meal just because I was just spending so much energy every day. And I've had to start doing that again. Like I'm not a big breakfast guy, but I've started forcing myself to eat breakfast and it's amazing 
how much energy I have later in the day because of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, when basically like when you wake up in a, I mean, even though you do have some glucose stores, of course, and you get that cortisol spike early in the morning, you still are in a fasted state. And when you're going to go and do some high output activity, you need something to bridge that gap. I mean, yeah, you can do it in a fasted state, but it's, you're definitely going to, I think you're going to see the performance drop with, with skipping the meal. I and that's why I think it's more, and it's not so much like the meal itself, but mainly just some energy, just something to fill the tank. And that's where I think like everybody's got to figure out what they're, what works for them. And, and that's why I went, I stuck with the oatmeal and I had a couple of things to it, but that seems to work for me. I'm very big with the soluble fibers for me personally. That's been helpful, like the chia seeds and the hemp seeds and things like that, where it just passes through the gut better. And just, especially first thing in the morning, it's like what you want. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's been my routine for that. Do a little yoga and then go foil. I love it. <laughs> I just read an article about salt intake and how... We always think about salt as this evil, but mm -hmm. the majority of athletes in the States, according to this article, are deficient in salt. Like we're not taking in enough salt and then it starts to compromise other systems like magnesium and calcium and th some things like that. I'm Absolutely. sure you got into that with cycling and that output. Like yes. how do you recommend folks take on electrolyte balance and salt and yeah, I mean water? I think one, one of the things too is to understand how you're losing salt first before you start to replace it. And obviously in sweat, right? That's what everybody knows. But, you know, the things where you really lose salt is things that inhibit basically what it's like an SIADH kind of system. And that's where that you're is. talking. Oh, so it's an antidiuretic hormone. And so that's what holds on to the salt in the body. And that, oh, like DDAVP. Yeah, yeah, basically. Yep. And what what inhibits that is say coffee, alcohol, things like that, where you could have had alcohol the night before, but you're still that system's a little inhibited. And so although you're you think you're not really losing salt, but you may have during the night, especially if you get up a couple times to pee or something like that, and you still still might be in that state in the morning. So that's where you number one have to focus on that. And then same thing, caffeine is a big one because everybody, almost everybody has coffee in the morning. And that's one where I'm always like, okay, especially if I'm in a foil or do something. And especially in this heat right now, I try to limit myself to like even half a cup to just a cup and then just cut it off and try to drink water before and after. And that way that system doesn't get ramped up. And that then when I do pee that I'm not losing primarily salt through that. And to your point about the salt and magnesium, that's why I think the electrolyte mixes, if you look at the ingredients, that's what you really want. I think, especially in the heat that we're dealing with right now, that's that's one of the, those are the pretty much core electrolytes you want to focus on. Yeah. So on a downwind run, is it better to take like an energy gel? So like a Gatorade pack energy gel, which also has, I guess, some of the minerals in it, or is it better to bring along a Gatorade or an electrolyte pack, like Camelback? The Camelback. You'll absorb quicker that way yep. because when, you know, the gels you need, the gels and those kind of edible type things you do need on really long 
extended activities. But when you're talking about just replacing electrolytes purely, that's when you need to stick with it, just the hydration, because you're going to absorb it quicker throughout the bloodstream when it's absorbed through the gut. But rather than the gels, which do take a little bit of processing, although they're pretty fast processing, and that's why they make them that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you, yeah. And then that's where it becomes tough because there's only so much liquid you can carry on those kind of runs. So you have to see what works for you as far as the hydration mixes and things like that. Like I particularly am really into this one called Scratch Labs. It's a cycling one, but it's, if you ever get a chance to look it up, but that seems that works for me. And they have some that are more like, I don't know, like high intensity or like higher electrolyte losing to try to replace formulas and then lighter ones. And they don't have a lot of real, mostly natural-ish ingredients. (laughs) So that's been helpful, but yeah. Does it help to start increasing like salt on food? Yes and no. I think, I think our Western diet has a, has a pretty good job of having salt for people who are our age and our activity level. I mean, although we're on that, yeah, like part-time athlete type thing, but I think we're getting enough salt in the diet for the most part. Okay. There, there are some instances where you do have to increase the salt intake, but I would say that kind of, I would say overall for us, I would say that's not a huge focus unless you start to like you, you know, if your doctor starts to recommend it based on other things, blood pressure and things like that. But that's usually not a problem with us. Gotcha. I'd say. Yeah. Gotcha. As far as I guess cross training goes, and this is something where I, I do this every time I get just foil brained or whatever it is in the other sports. When I go full in on a sport, it seems like it starts, I start compromising other training because I want to save all of my energy to right. <laughs> yeah. foil as much as possible. I know he's like, there's only so many athletic hours I have in a week. So I'm going to use all of those. And I've done that time and time again. And then it's a couple years into the sport for me. It was probably about three years this time. And actually my buddy, Eric Goodman, who does foundation training was up here. He's like, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Have you met Eric down there? He lives down there by you now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we met when we did that. I remember when we were all wakeboarding on the yep. boat a couple yep, months yep. ago. Yeah. And then him and I have texted a couple of times and I've been actually trying to get him my e-foil to teach him, but now my e-foil's on the fritz. I got to bring it over to the shop. But yeah, yeah. We've texted a few times for sure. So we and were... he does. I mean, his he's actually trained under some of the docs that I trained at my medical school. So oh, really? he's got... Yeah, he yeah. What he does with foundation training is pretty spot on. He I'd is say. an absolute genius. That guy he is. Yeah, and his ability to be able to look at someone in a couple of the different foundation poses, and then pretty much immediately go, "All right, here's what's going to help you." And for mm-hmm. me, it's three times now where it's just been like, "Oh my goodness." Thank you, Eric. Yeah, I send him messages mm-hmm. all the time. My last one was this neck thing that I went through and two months, two and a half months on from that now. And I just can't believe that for six months I was like having headaches and stuff and it was all a neck yeah. thing. I didn't know. I just kept yeah. thinking I was getting like micro concussions. It was really scaring me. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff that we learn as like, I mean, I'm an osteopathic physician, so I'm a DO, right? Instead mm-hmm. of MD. And yeah, he, he trained with some of the docs I trained with. And some of that stuff is amazing. I mean, of course, I don't use that really in my daily practice, but I know enough about it to at least use it on my on myself. And it's totally evident that he's 
he's been taught that way and he practices that way, which is really cool because definitely treating the body as a whole and seeing all the interconnections between the spine and sacrum and then the cervical spine as well. And it's really cool. So it's cool that he's used that in his, in his methodology. Absolutely. But the last time he it was actually not last time, it was a couple of times ago when we were hanging out, he laughed and we were doing some foundation stuff and he had seen me go so deep into subsurfing and then get all out of whack. And now I've done it again in foiling. He's like, you can <laughs> do some training, man. Like, all right. So I've been, I've actually yeah. been really about working out every day out, outside of foiling. And it actually has helped a lot. It's actually helped in the water a lot too. I'm foiling better because of it. Yeah, that's good. I mean, that's something I definitely skip out on sometimes. I pretty much just yoga is like my backbone for every, at least has become like the last year or so. And that's really what I fall on to for everything else. And then still the cycling, but I haven't done like focus workouts based for foiling. I understand the muscle groups that are being used and I try to focus on those and not lose any ground and just, and make small gains. But but yoga's helped at least for me. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I think what you're saying is very important. I think it's overlooked. And that's again, one of those where I think there, there are different, there, there's like a lot of different pathways in there. And it, a lot of, there's a lot of improvements to be made based on the individual, but I think you almost have to get your own little recipe going and it works. It's not just going to the gym and lifting dumbbells and things like that. Right. Of course. So, right. so I think that's important. And it's interesting because since foiling is a relatively new sport and then within all the different disciplines, there's different muscle groups being used that like, you can't just say that this is the foiling recovery type regimen. And then versus a guy that I'd say, like one of the ones I always think about is that even though, I mean, I don't wing, but I, plan on learning, but I, with kite foiling, at least I know I can ride switch sometimes. And sometimes when you're riding prone for so many days and you're like, oh, I wish I could just ride switch a little bit and like <laughs> balance out these muscle groups. And, I mean, um, that's a question that was asked a couple times on Instagram is how do you get your legs to be the same size again? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, shoot, that's, some, I, I, and I've noticed at least for me personally, like, especially this summer riding the progression 140 has been number one a savior <laughs> but then at the same time i mean it's like and after from let's see from my background i've ridden I, the lift 120 was my daily driver prior to that and then i had a bunch of armstrong gear and now i have f1 gear too and it the progression i can tell how you tuned it more for that front foot pressure because now i do get more like knee annoyances <laughs> from like pumping around where I never did before. And the lift stuff is so back foot. And uh, so one of the things I've thought about doing is, okay, I got to change up the gear a little bit and start to, and that will help at least with those overuse injuries. And I I primarily will just end up like today, I just spin on the bike for a little bit. And now, you know, that little aching knee from Sunday has gone away, especially since I think we were also up. I looked at my watch after for a little data, Jeremy and I, it was like 30 minutes on foil. Amazing. So it was, yeah, it's so much fun. <laughs> but You're yeah, I think by the way, the Rob. Gear. Oh, thanks. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm, I don't know. I'm not there yet, but I'm trying. Um, thanks. No, all the clips coming out, your clips, Jeremy's clips, like the last drone stuff you did was really good. Yeah, it's good. It's helpful to have Alec behind the drone. He makes everybody look good for sure. So <laughs> he's a legend. <laughs> he is a legend. 
That's something I've been very consciously doing in my pumping now is getting to a pretty even, I mean, so part of the tuning of the foil, like you said, was to try to get it very even footed. And then I take it farther Mm -hmm. when I'm pumping and I really move my front foot back almost to the point to where if something goes wrong, I'm, it's almost unrecoverable Mm -hmm. with a really narrow stance as well. And, but it's really helped on leg balance. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah, that makes sense. My legs now are pretty symmetrical compared to how they were a year and a half ago. A year and a half ago, it was like pretty funny, noticeable. Really? Yeah. 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 I I think, and I think with that foil, since you can like, at least I've been able to dig out of so many, like almost dropping down and that foil is so recoverable that I've overworked it a little bit. And, and I have a pretty bad habit of kind of leaning a little bit forward. I know like, like Gordon would always try to teach me to stand more upright. And so I try to narrow my stance more when I, when I pump and I see it on film, it's just, it's like, it's trying to break those habits. And I think, yeah, that's why video and film really help see what you're doing. And especially listen to something, it's something I never did when I surfed, uh, I should say when I surfed, but <laughs> in surfing, but yeah, I do know what you mean. Cause I feel like when I do keep a like a little bit more narrow stance, especially pumping, cause it's easy to bring the back foot forward, but yeah. that front foot still, it tends to get planted and stay planted and then you make do with it. But yeah. 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 Front foot movement has been, I guess about a year and a half journey for me in foiling and it, it changes everything. It means that you can change your tuning while you're riding when you move your front foot. Yeah which is, it's just really cool to know that you can do that. Oh, there's not enough front foot pressure on that turn. Just move your front foot back in between turns. And all of a sudden, just like you shifted your foil up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, like with, with Mike's take on the offset stance. I mean, once I started realizing I was doing that and then realizing how much more leverage I was getting over on turns when I did offset more and then what it felt like when I wasn't offset, then that's when it really opened up. Just don't point your front foot forward. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) It's funny because I hate that stance so much, like the front foot forward stance. Yeah, I know what you mean. (laughs) But when I wing, it's like I've had to like learn to be good at it and to appreciate it because it makes it so much easier when you're winging on your, I don't know, like your toe side or whatever it is. Wing on the opposite side. Side, yeah. 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 It's how kiting is too. Yeah. I almost stand like both yeah. feet almost together, almost like a sup race stance or something. Yeah. I think that's like the snowboard carving stance, right? If you have, you yeah. Put them both as a positive, which I've messed around with, which does not work for me. But I don't like <laughs> it either, man. I can't do it. I tried okay. this year. I've tried. Yeah. Hey, I tried it this year too. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> couldn't do it. Oh, man. Couldn't that's good. So, what else is on the list here? What else? I can dive into Instagram a little bit, or you got some other topics you want to go over? Because I know there's a lot. Yeah, it was. I know we were talking about the. Yeah, I think with just the injuries and the overuse injuries, like that unilateral that unilaterality of the injuries of how we're just more one sided than the other. I think that's one of those things that we need to focus on, and it's tough. And I mean, I I go back to yoga because I feel like like passive stretching is not enough. And I think if you don't have a really good foundation as far as like stretching and trying to, I don't know, regain flexibility if you're sore and things like that, 
I think that's where things like yoga or maybe even like Pilates and stuff like that, where your, your flexibility and your stretching is focused within a controlled movement rather than just a passive range of motion pulling across or pulling towards you type thing. And I think that can sometimes exacerbate more than it can help injuries. So I think that's like if somebody was willing to give it a shot, I think those techniques help a lot. And they keep you within your kind of your normal or what is comfortable for you rather than trying to overdo it or take it to the next level. And I think if you're trying to really take it to the next level, that's where you want to be involved with somebody like like Eric or or go see somebody that can help you with that stuff. But um, as far as doing it yourself, I think that helps a lot. Dave actually asked, what are some specific stretches for foiling? Do you have anything that you go to? I mean, you've mentioned yoga a number of times, but if you've got 15 minutes to warm up on the beach or 10 minutes to warm up on the beach, what are you going to do? Yeah. So I have, I try to do, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's easier to, to use it in yoga poses and like a, like lizard sure. pose where it's almost like, like almost like you're popping up on a board. So just to get that early blood flow moving to your normal pop-up stance, I do it both ways and then do like some piriformis stretches too. start working out the hips before we get going. And I think there's, I, I think a lot of those movements where you're just somewhat replicating what you do when you pop up on the board and maintaining your balance and things like that. I think that you just get like that little head start of that little jump on going out there. And then rather than blowing the first couple of waves, you already have the blood flow. You've gotten a little bit of movement in the lower back and things like that. And I think those help a lot. Yeah. That's my, I mean, a lot of days you get up in the morning and you're trying to beat the tide and I literally have maybe two minutes on the mat before I, I go out there. So yeah, that's it for sure. Um, I've coached a lot of folks in the surfing world over the last while. And it always seems like for guys in the middle ages, the limiting factor is usually hip mobility. Yep. And the things that I have found that are really helpful are pigeon where you put your yeah. leg in front of you, yeah, so I was, and you lay on that's top. That's exactly what I do. Yeah. Well, I, yeah I that's why I, yeah. And then the other thing that I have found that's been incredible, and it's not a stretch, and I wouldn't recommend necessarily doing it before you go out, but are goblet squats, kettlebell goblet squats. So that's the squat where yeah. your feet are pretty close together, yeah. holding a kettlebell kind of in front of your chest. And then you go all the way down until your butt is on your heels, essentially. And yeah. I think if you can stay, it's one of the exercises that I do at least once a week, I would say it's actually really good for my back because of the problem that I have with my back. It like that specific motion opens that up, it, like pulls my back apart, which feels tremendous. Mm -hmm. But if you can get to a point where you can do that, like a deep goblet squat, you have plenty of hip mobility then at that point to do any sort of pop up. And the guys who haven't yeah, exactly. been able to get up because of hip mobility cannot do goblet squats, I have found. And then once they get to yeah. it, they can, it's pretty easy for them. Yeah. And I think that's, and basically what you're doing there is in engaging quads, glutes, hamstrings, and your core. So basically like without that strong core, you're not going to be able to do it. And then when you think about it, we're popping up on four twos, four fives, five O boards. I mean, boards that we never would have ridden prior to foiling and you, you need to do it quick and you do it, need to do it accurately. So if you don't have that basis of that flexibility and that control within the core, it's going to be a whole lot tougher. And then of course, like with the fatigue and stuff like that, all that tightens up. And if you go from one day to the next and you're not like, that's why I think it's important to just get that early movement going 
and get that range of motion within a controlled way, not just passively straining your back or passively doing a toe touch or something like that. But like what you're explaining, that's really helpful. Yeah, I, I totally agree. All right. I've got another question here. This one's from Matanzgram and says you can't concentrate after long morning sessions because of exhaustion. How can you improve that? Yeah, I think that's a dehydration right there. I mean, that's you, your electrolytes are what helps you with the focus. And that's one of those where I think you need to get like stay ahead of the hydration before it becomes a, an issue. I think that's probably the main issue there. And it's probably not sleep related, but more just that balance and trying to prevent it from the, yeah. It's like, you want to stay ahead of it, right? Those late signs with the, that, that fatigue, that fogginess or whatever, like, especially if you're trying to do work and things like that, those are later signs with, with dehydration. So I would just recommend trying to stay on top of it earlier, pre-session, post-session, the right kind of meal afterwards. And then of course, taking a nap these days after any sessions near impossible. <laughs> so that's out of the question for me and probably you, but yeah, that's sort of not a good sure. napper. I was a great napper. Yeah. And I just can't nap here. I don't know why. Weird. I started doing like B vitamin energy shots. Like I, yeah. I almost completely cut out caffeine. I just do like one green tea generally a day now. Yeah, like it's good. A, like a B, I don't know, it's called, oh, I don't remember what it's called. It's like an energy gel. It's like a Gatorade pack, but it's got a little bit of B vitamin in it. And that combo yeah, I mean, seems to go great together. Usually that that B12 folate thiamine, um, those are all the things that help with cognition. I mean, that's usually what they're, those are the big things that are lacking, say, in alcoholics, that they're, that's what they try to replace in those banana bags and things like that. So yeah, I think those are the important ones that you want to focus on. And a lot of the, a lot of the vitamins and things like that have plenty. You don't really need a whole lot more. And like what you're taking, like one supplement a day is fine. Typically you're going to get more than you're more than you, you need. It's also in say black beans, red beans, things like that. So you can get out of there too. Okay. Epic. Sure. Let's talk a little bit about, anesthesiology and consciousness just because i've wanted to talk to you about this for a long time and i think it's did you see the weight but why do you follow tim with weight but why blog no i haven't tim urban he's one of my favorite kind of pop culture silicon valley writers he, he's written some you've probably seen his work he's done some of the posts about like the number of days in your life all on one piece of paper so you can see how mm -hmm. time scarce and he did another one about the amount of time that you get to spend with your kids and your parents and by the time your kids graduate from high school you're you spent 95 percent of the time that you're going to spend with them or something like that it's like yeah, to put well. things in perspective and he wrote one the other day about uh, I guess he had to go in for a surgery or something like that. And he was really contemplating going into anesthesia and going under. And he was thinking about, and he did some research about consciousness, where consciousness goes when you're under. And basically it's like a reboot. It goes away and then it comes back. And his right. thought is that when you come back, you are not the same. There's a break. There's a consciousness break. So you're not guaranteed to be the same person when you go under as when you come back. You can look at it like a new person, essentially. And it was just like, a weird i don't know if he really believed what he was saying or if it was just yeah making a point i think I, I think it might be yeah i think it might be the feeling i mean you're not really it won't 
alter personality and things like that. And it is exactly what you described. It is an unconscious state. So yeah, you're not getting a restful sleep from anesthesia. We're basically just that unconsciousness. We have those neurotransmitters and we're basically just preventing the reuptake of those neurotransmitters like GABA. That's what we're, when we're using like propofol and things like that. Those are kind of the, the medicines that most people know. That's essentially what we're doing. And as far as like really... I mean, at, at least from my experience, I would tend to disagree with as far as like it, it changing you as a person afterwards or before. I think where you do see those potential issues, and I do discuss this with my patients all the time, when you're in that 70 to 80s to 90s, those decades, and you're getting anesthesia for repeated surgeries or prolonged surgeries, I always go over with the family that the post-op delirium is real. And there's a lot of things that we do nowadays to try to prevent that stuff. But I mean, you could permanently affect an elderly person with, because the mind just doesn't recoil back to what it used to be the same way. It doesn't have the same checks and balances in place at that point. And so that's why a lot of times in those cases, we try to, one of the things that really gets a lot of the attention now is like the narcotics and things like that. And we try to cut out as much as we can and then there's, we've used these kind of like, for lack of a better word, like a headband that we use for some of these older folks. And that'll tell exactly how asleep you are. It's kind of like a real-time EEG. Oh, wow. And yeah, it's really cool. I, we started using them like in my residency. So like, like probably 2008, 2009, when it came out somewhere on there. And we use them pretty routinely now. And that kind of helps us keep them in check where we're not help prevent the overdose and things like that. And we can tell exactly how asleep they are. It's like an, it, it gives it an arbitrary scale, like zero to a hundred. And then you keep them within these like parameters that way you're not going over and stuff like that. And that's pretty cool. But I mean, one of the things that I always recommend, like whenever it's a possibility is like, especially with say <laughs> a good chance that a lot of us will end up with an orthopedic surgery at some point is try to opt for like a, a regional anesthetic or like a nerve block, like say for like a shoulder surgery and knee surgery, things like that, where the, the nerve block will act almost like the primary anesthetic so that we're numbing up a region of the body. So the most common one say is like an epidural or a spinal for a C-section patient. But nowadays we do them for a total knee, a, a total shoulder. We're numbing up the shoulder completely or numbing up the knee completely, things like that. And I think when that's an option to always take it because the amount you're basically, you can do the surgery almost narcotic free. You're using the local anesthetic as the primary anesthetic. And then you're really just going to sleep just so they don't hear the human carpentry going on in the background. So yeah, it's the, that's been a kind of bigger breakthrough for us in the last, I'd say a couple decades. Do you think that we'll be doing full under anesthesia in 50 years? Or do you think that this is something that's going to be phased out with new technology and, and understanding? That's a good question. I would say that I would say that it wouldn't, it won't be phased out only because of, I think what will be phased out is some of the ways that we get there and some of the ways, like as far as like some of the medicines that we use and the ways, the way that we use them. But I feel like the, that unconscious state will be, will still be useful for certain surgeries. I think what we'll start to see is what I was just talking about with some of those other options as far as, I think what we're gonna to start to see is less of the unconsciousness states in order to achieve, in order to get patients through surgery. 
but I don't think it will be completely replaced. I think there's still going to be like a time and place for them. You know, certain surgeries are going to need it, but, but that is a very good question. But yeah, I would say probably just less so. And a lot of it's going to come through educating the, the general population about the basically the potentials and the different options and then the potential outcomes based on the options and things like that. And I think just like anything else, I mean, our medicine has become, there's a, a very much a customer service type industry. And you now people are, you got to make sure your surveys are good and that all your reviews are good. So you got to try to give out, you try to give options when you can, because that's what we want to be able to be informed enough that you can choose your approach if there's an option. So. Yeah. My, my dad, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but he had a, he has a meniscus tear right now. He had a total knee a little while ago and he's super active, upper seventies, crazy good shape. And he wants to like p- keep playing tennis and stuff like that. And his left knee has been bothering him, I think. And he went in for the surgery the other day and they're like, yeah, you're going to go under. He's like, nope, I'm not going under completely. Yeah. Like, just give me a block. Cause he did that for his like total knee somehow. and. And then they wouldn't do it. So he just left. He's like, all right, well, I'm not doing this today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. It's, it's one of those things where, yeah, that's the thing we do them for the total needs, but then for the, like say a meniscus, which is sometimes a 20 minute surgery. If you do a spinal anesthetic, you're going to be hanging out there numb from the waist down for two hours after surgery. That That's the problem is that that's a lot of the reason why we don't offer that sort of stuff because the timing it just i think that's where we're going to start to see the breakthroughs is like being able to do a spinal for a 20 minute 30 minute surgery and we do have techniques but they're not like perfect and they're not reliable enough to do it each and every time so that's really why we don't do them but i think that's where we're going to start seeing like a lot of the improvements yeah yeah a a total knee is like it's very like pretty much cookbook nowadays. So we know exactly how long it's going to be. It's going to be like just about an hour and a half and the spinal's perfect for that. But yeah, we don't do it. But yeah. When you look at, and I don't know how much you have studied this, but the evolution of anesthesiology, at what rate is it changing? Are we seeing like tapering off or is it still evolving at the same rate? Yeah. You know, I think the process. I think, I don't think we're tapering off. I just think some of the gains are becoming more like incremental gains when it comes to more specific goals for different types of surgeries and things like that. I think those big breakthroughs were the exact same thing as foiling right now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's exactly that, right? Like, yeah, I mean, now the little guys like me, I can get all the foils that I want before I would have to just ride the big guy foils or something. Yeah, it's exactly that. I mean, it's just becoming more tailored to the specific circumstances and just get it more dialed and especially with side effects and things like that. But I think that it just, it seems like it's not big gains, but we still are making big gains. And yeah, if you and I could ever come up with a invention, let me know. Cause I love to retire. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about like humanity, I think about this a lot and I have some friends that I argue with a good bit of over whatever it is. And I just think that we are still so early in the learning curve. If we look back at medical practice a hundred years ago or 500 years ago, you laugh at it. And I'm a hundred percent sure that when we look back at what we're doing now in a hundred or 500 years, it's going to be the same thing right now. If you look at what's going on with UAP or space tech, or how could anybody travel these large distances 
but it takes so long. Well, 150 years ago, we couldn't get into the air at all. And now look at where we are. And so I just think there's like a, a kind of like a overriding hubris sometimes. And I think that curiosity and being open to new ideas, I think that's where all the, the real gains are made. For sure. I think it's interesting to think about that either in the space of foiling or in base tech or in anesthesiology. I just think that those trends are more human trends rather than yeah. specific. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also, I mean, I don't know, from my approach in medicine, at least that I, or not approach, but like my observation has been that a lot of the stuff that gets some of the breakthroughs or some of the, the advances is unfortunately like where the money gets funneled to. And that's one of those things where you're like, oh my gosh, I wish we would just focus more on curing this or working on this and things like that. Like, I mean, for example, like the anesthetic gases that we use, like every single day, like we still don't really know exactly how they work. I mean, we have like a general, we have like an idea, but it's not exact and they haven't exactly. And yeah, for lack of a better word, sometimes they're like a poison. I mean, they just, yeah, you're essentially huffing a gas in order to go to sleep and we know how to control it and get people through it safely, but it's not the best option, I think. And I think that's where, at least in my field, we got to work on. But, you know. That's wild. You know, yeah. <laughs> I think about yeah. like, con conscious states a whole lot because of flow state. And I feel like there's something so special that happens when you get to that post-consciousness of deep flow where you're just existing. I feel like the whole filter of reality that we've learned since the time we were a kid that makes things easy goes away. And then you're just interacting with pure data, pure energy. And, and I think, I, yeah, no, go, sorry, go ahead. What I was going to say is that like the anesthesia part of this is like almost going in the other way. It's like, it's where you, it, with flow states, you have this massive aperture, everything is opening up. There's no filter involved. And then it seems like when you're going under, it's like, it's like just stopping all of the processes. Like, have you gained any insights yeah. into flow state through your work in consciousness yeah so i well like it's so flow state to me has actually become like more of a newer discovery it, actually through foiling i've gotten more in more into it and read more on it prior to that it's not something that we learn in medical school we know the neurotransmitters we learn about all that stuff and we learn about their interactions and things like that so but we just never really went into that sort of subject and i think it's become really fascinating for me because it's obvious that we whether it be through surfing, foiling, or just whatever, you, everybody's experienced it at this point. And I think foiling, we can reproduce it or get into that. And I think that's one of the big draws. But I've always thought about how can I relate it to anesthesia? And I actually wanted to try to do a presentation for my group based on it. But it's one of those things that like, if we can, I don't want to say teach, but maybe help people get into like a flow state, that could almost replace an anesthetic in certain instances but it's like trying to get someone who doesn't understand that or hasn't really experienced it you can't just switch it on or off i mean even with what we do we can't really just switch it on or off we know we we can identify it and we can usually identify it post flow state rather than when you're actually in it right you remember the bits and pieces of like that barrel but just right. you see the you see, you're like looking at yourself in it. You're not actually there or you're in that turn where you're, I always call it like the pulling G's and on foil where it's not really G's, but that feeling you can see from the outside 
you're like, yeah, I remember that, but it's just little bits and pieces of it and everything slows down. And we do, of course, now understand that it's a dopaminergic response that then, you know, that's that, that hyper-focus slowing down everything within a norepinephrine response. And it's interesting because I feel like a lot of those true flow states, I think that's why they're so short-lived because when you're talking about those neurotransmitters, like say norepinephrine is one of those things that we use in anesthesia to maintain blood pressures on critical patients and things like that. And you can't be in that state with that, with those kind of neurotransmitters and those hormones, those catecholamines flooding for an extended period of time. I mean, it's not, you're just going to, you're just going to crash. And so I think that's why it's just this fascinating state where it's short, but then you can, it feels like that it's so encompassing that it almost feels long and you can, you look back on it and that's why you keep going back for is for that feeling. And, and then I, I know that there is like a kind of like a little serotonin surge at the end and that calming feel. And I guess it's not always the case with certain things, but you know, they all play a role and it's pretty wild, pretty fascinating. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I'm digesting all that right now. <laughs> I wonder how yeah. much is neurochemical and I'm sure, and I guess this comes more into like a deeper conversation which, where I'm not going to go there right now, but I wonder how much of it is chemical and how much of it is the, and maybe it's chemicals driving this. So, so maybe it's one and the same, but about the need to get the conscious self out of the way so that habits can run the show so that it's faster, like removing the yeah. middleman from the conversation. And then, right, right. And, and I think that middleman it is the great filter, which yeah. kind of, I would love to be able to go back and be a two day, two day old baby and look at the world and see what yeah, it looks yeah. like. I wonder yeah, how no, much, it's... yeah, what we're seeing right now is, just pure filter because it, it just makes sense that we are have created all of these processes to to get through our day and make it easier or else we'd just be overwhelmed and be mm -hmm. laughing yeah. and crying yeah, exactly all the yeah, time exactly and yeah we yeah right we need all these distractions in order to keep us in line but yeah i know it's funny that you say that because i i have a six-year-old and a two-year-old and my two-year-old i watch him and i see how he process things and it's just it's really cool to see how it's just like instant feedback and then response rather than what we do, which is like, well, what, what does society think about my response before I give my response and things like that. And yeah, it's, it's really cool. I think one of the other things that I, I this was one of the things I wanted to bring up and it, it ties into this was like, why, I think that pulling G's is not a really good term, but I don't really have anything else for it. But like when we're foiling where you're laying it on rail and stuff like that, and you're, you have that interaction where it's a, it's almost like it's somewhat a flow state and but at the same time it's a gravitational kind of feedback where you are in this i think it's just like primitive for us i mean gravity is probably the first thing that mankind learns or understands and then when we're in that state where we're like you've got gravity and you've got a feedback off of it but you're almost like testing it almost like well how far can i take it and then that becomes almost addictive like where it's a reproducible flow state, but it's an interaction with the environment and gravity. And I think that's really fascinating too. Yeah. That's interesting that you said that. I've only heard one other person talk about kind of these sports in regards to like gravity games. And it's a buddy of mine <laughs> who's brilliant MIT guy. And he just loves the idea of 
playing with gravity. Um, yeah. <laughs> and that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's so cool. Cause I don't think about, I guess in, in a surfing framework, I'm thinking about angles. I don't really think about it in terms of gravity, but I mean, obviously it's such a huge component of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think since we're getting, we're getting more glide than we do when we surf and you're gaining more speed, that's like just, uh, that response and that kind of like speed on tap all the time. is just, mm -hmm. it's just so amazing. I mean, especially in small, from small waves, the big waves to whatever in between at that, that change of the angle. Whereas in surfing, when you're cutting back into the pocket, you're almost just trying to set back up in order to stay in the pocket rather than in foiling, you're picking up speed. I mean, yep. that's always been really cool to me. I think that's definitely, I think what got me out of <laughs> Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's really neat. So my wife's best woman ever, and actually our 20th anniversary is tomorrow. Oh, so, wow. Uh, Congrats. Yeah, man. So sick. We went fishing today. We're going fishing tomorrow. It's awesome. But she was filming on Friday and I was like doing a runner. I was way down the beach. It was a really cool angle though, because with the perspective and we see this from the ski, but it's so close, you don't get to see the same thing. But I was, I did like two or three top turns in a row and at a steeper section. And the cool thing was how far with the perspective down the beach, looking right sideways to the wave, how far I was running in front of the wave. It was like yes. hitting the wave, like a, like a quarter pipe. And then you're way in the flat, so far out of the wave energy. And it looked so weird from a surfing perspective to be three or four times the height of the wave in front of it. Is yeah, really for sure. I mean, I, that's funny you say that. Cause I've been, and it's like different foils, let you do that in different ways. But I think that just that, like being able to not surfing, you're trying to like, you're trying not to lose speed on the bottom turn at the same time that you're trying to put yourself back in the pocket. But with foiling, it's like, you can make up these new lines where it's like the flats is not really the flats anymore. Right. And, and I, I just, yeah, it's so cool. I mean, I tried it. I did it a couple of times and I think I have like one clip of it last, whatever, when we were still wearing wetsuits or whatever. And then I've done it a couple of times since then. And actually I confused my solo shot when I did it, but it's like went out into the flats and then come off the wave, like just come right past it and then hook into the next wave without any pump, like just glide straight into it. And I've seen you guys all do it. I of course got the idea from seeing it, but like when you figure out that there's new ways to draw lines within what was before, like this is where you have to surf type thing. Mm -hmm. Now you're like, no, I can pretty much do a bottom turn from one wave into the next without making any other extraneous movement and just hook it. And yeah, it's super fun for sure. That, that Friday as super short period swells, like three and a half feet at five, six seconds, which is my favorite foiling condition. Yeah, like, yeah, me too. I, it's ping pong. Foil, I want, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's ping pong for sure. I had a stretch of three waves in a row where I would kick out, going right, kick out, and then just start a like gradual bottom turn. And the next wave was right there and just stay on the toe side, right into a nice top turn. Right into the next one. Yeah. And did that just like, like curly cues, working my way out back. So fun. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's the best. Cause then you're not, and plus, like, the old guy status of pumping out all the way to the out the back anymore after a while you're like i'd rather just ping pong between the five second period stuff and then pump all the way to like the horizon and hope something that pops up oh yeah. for sure oh you know, man we're yeah. so do like most of the time this time of year we're getting those suck up south swells and 
that was kind of like the only one we've had. And those are my favorite. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you guys get. Yeah, we've had like, I mean, pretty modest, but we still have gotten some of the, like at least enough east or east-northeast that we can get out there and even towed on the tiny day just to do something else. Oh, that was like one of the things I meant to bring up as far as like injuries and preventing that stuff. Like I've, at least now for me, I'm like, after a couple of days, I'm like, okay, let's go tow. Like I don't care if it's knee high, let's go tow because then that way I'm not, you know, I don't need to pop up a a bunch of times and save my pumping legs and stuff like that and just ride a different wing and stuff like that. And that's been really fun. Yeah. We got a couple of guys. I mean, yeah, my buddy Eric's always down to tow and Kenny Kozak has been really into towing. Matt, yeah, Latham, Jeremy, and all those guys. So <laughs> there's guys always somebody to tow with. Are into towing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> really? It's just, we've been, yeah, right? I know. It's funny. No one ever had a ski until we started foiling. Now everybody's got a ski. <laughs> yeah. I'm like terrified every once in a while, like use the ski for something else. And I'm just like, man, I hope we can break. <laughs> Getting used to it's like, not as cool as I'll be like, oh, you want to cruise around now? No. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I won't throw them under the bus. I was going to throw my bus. I'm not going to do it. Oh, uh, well, I suck up the rope or something like I have once before. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that's why I don't think, I, I think it's fun to like, I, I have the house that everybody comes over. So that's kind of like my trade off is that then I get to go tow with the guys. Cause I still don't own a ski. Don't really, I don't want to own a ski right now. <laughs> I just give the parking. Yeah. That's nice. Ours is so easy, man. Cause we've got the Marina that's right by the inlet. So. Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah. We got to go from where we're at. We got to go almost 20 miles and either North up to Jetty park or South oh. down to the inlet. So. That's yeah. a run. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we tow it down oh, there. Yeah. And, and then, yeah, those are the two spots to, to launch from. But, but yeah, I mean, then you just got, we got the river here, just like you guys. So we can just wake foil in the river mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And yeah, that's been cool. Like trying to learn. I mean, I, that was something I never really thought I'd ever get into doing. And then after that one day that we went, all of us on that boat in Orlando, I've gone with like Gunther and Gordon, those guys. And, I'm like, wow, this is like so fun to be able to reproduce every turnover and really try to dial in the setup because I never, I, I just didn't, I wrote it off as something I wasn't really into. And then we've done it with other boats here, Matt and Graham and those guys. So yeah, that's been cool. I never thought. Yeah, it's awesome. We, Damo and I, my son and I were going towing on July 4th in the morning and we're running out the inlet. And this yacht comes by and a yacht just happens to be going like 12 miles an hour. And it was like a, I don't know, rib high wake. I was like, Damo, throw out the rope. <laughs> the inlet, our inlet, our jetties are a mile. And he got the whole mile on foil behind them. It was so amazing. Oh man, that's pretty, yeah, that's pretty badass. <laughs> Epic. I was like, switch to me. He's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> But so you have ridden a lot of different foils recently. Let's talk about like talk about what you look for in a foil. And like I look at foils like I look at surfboards and some days I want to do one thing and other days I want to do something else. And so there are generally foils that will 
do those tasks better than others. And yeah. do you, you look at it the same way? What do you, you mention yeah. 140 yeah. some? And I don't want it to be about that. I want to have a conversation about the benefits of all the different foils. Yeah, I, I yeah, no, I totally. And that's like that's one of the cool things about foiling is that, like, as opposed to say surfing, like where you and I wouldn't necessarily ride the same boards, and I wouldn't say, hey, can I borrow your board? And, but, well, I mean, sometimes maybe, but you know, with foils, it's like, there's always like a reason why we would ride a different foil. Like you would, I would ride the same foil you would, but in a different time for different time of waves. And I think that's really cool. I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I've been on the progression 140 a lot lately. Most of the time I'm just prone foiling out here and just, and that's given me the best glide, the, definitely the easiest pump. I, I have been trying to Oh, I know. I should have tried it that one day on the boat <laughs> so long ago. I'm like, oh man, talk about regrets. But uh, yeah, the, there's, I know the 120 and like once I got on that wing a couple of years ago, I was like, and I think actually I texted you about that before I got it. And that was like, whoa, that just blew open the doors about what a high aspect wing can do. And then once I started figuring out the turning for me, I ended up shortening the fuse on that one with the 26 carved tail. And yeah, like, because lift doesn't, of course you can't shim and all that stuff with lift stuff. And I did get one of those fuse oil parts adapters and I tried that out, but I wasn't really digging it. But once I figured out that shorter fuse and the tighter turns that worked for me at the time. And then now I've gone back the other way with kind of the longer fuse and more drawn out carvy turns and just more holding that rail and trying to quiet the body when I do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really what I've been looking for more now is just that real carvy feeling. I have been really digging that F1 skate a lot too. That does come with like a monoblock tail. So it's kind of like a package deal. I didn't really realize that when I was first getting it. And it is a shorter fuse. So it does lend itself. I was going. I was thinking, well, okay, it's going to be more skatey, probably be similar to the Lift 120. But that thing turns amazingly. I mean, and it really holds well for like a shorter fuse. And I felt like to try to do the quick little turns, it was way more fun. And actually, we towed with it one day that it was knee high. I mean, like barely, maybe knee high. (laughs) And it was amazing. It was just, it's such a, it really is a cool, well-balanced foil. I'm curious to see what the other sizes feel like. But those are the ones I've been on a lot. And then the the Armstrong MA800, I think the last time we had a good Shoals day, I towed with that. Mm-hmm. And that thing is really sweet in the sense that it, I think out of all those foils, I think that MA800 is kind of the one that handles the breaches the best. I personally don't like how it pumps. You really have to keep it really high in the water column and get it in that sweet spot. And then it pumps pretty well. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like it's just, too many factors that have to line up type thing. And it's just not for me prone. And I think maybe if I had a bigger size, I would try it, but I feel like, why do I really want to go to a bigger size? If I can ride a smaller foil that glides just as well, or I'm not just as well, like way better. And so that's why I still end up on the progression. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I just got to test the code 850. Um, Oh yeah. How was that? It's good. I like it a lot. It is not tuned, I would say, for Florida. It's got, mm-hmm. it's like, a, it's a better, if the way it surfs for me is it's a better Lift 120 or Cav 800. Okay. I had a feeling that's what it looked like to me. Yeah. And that's how it feels as well. It's just like, it feels like the next 
step in the evolution of like that, that feel it, it needs some speed compared to like same size progression, but Mm -hmm. I think it goes faster. So I think that in places where there's a lot more energy, people are really going to dig it. And I really like the way that it surfs. I think that it's, it's tuned out of the box very well. So I think that's awesome. And their build's good. It looks a lot like a North foil to me. Like oh, okay. The new, yeah, the new, I would bet it's yeah. out of the same factory. I would put money on that if anyone wants to bet oh, wow. me. But I think it <laughs> does a great job. So, Yeah, um, that looks like it. I know. I was pretty interested in that. I was wanted to try it out. I might, if it all lines up, if I'm in, I might be in California in the next couple of weeks and try to see if I could meet up with those people, go by that shop and try it out. Yeah, I think. But, um, yeah, it's. I mean, I was figuring, you know, it's like, look like a kind of more hopefully turny lift 120. Yep. I was hoping it'd be like something like that. But yeah, I, I feel like, I mean, the progression's done a really good, you guys did a really good job of kind of keeping it something that, because I think that slowing, that was my, one of the things with the lift 120 is that I had to like figure out ways to slow the foil down for our yep. waves sometimes because yep. that's what I wrote it. And I was, and I got away with that 120 a lot on days that were pretty small that because of my weight, it, I didn't need a ton of lift. I mean, I'm probably closer to Damo's weight than anything. So I felt like that trying to keep pace with the wave was the more the issue than anything else. Mm-hmm. But that's why it's fun to try different foils. I, I want to play around. I actually got a foil parts adapter for the F1 skate to try to oh, see okay. if like, okay, can I? Yeah, I was like, okay, if I throw on that shiv tail that I know I love and then and try to run it that way, I've had an issue with like one of the screws not lining up, so I'm trying to work on it with them. But that I was like, oh, there might be it might be something here in between there where it's because it that that does not feel like a super fast foil either. It feels like exactly what it like it's more carvy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But it is tough to get up on foil when it's small. I rode it on a really small day, like just out back. And yeah, it took me a few chances to just get it going, yeah. but yeah, that, yeah, there's, I know so many good ones coming out. <laughs> I still want to try so many more. It, it's been cool over the last say three months since we're not testing as much, right? There's like another one thing we're working on right now, but to have the 140, the 170 done and the 125 mm-hmm. and 200 have been done for a bit now, but just the production's coming out now. And to get to ride the same foils yes, without having to test a lot of other stuff after how much I had to test, it's let me really yeah. just have fun surfing and really start to explore progression again, where it was so much about like just getting feels and then changing and getting feels and changing and figuring yeah. out where this yeah, I mean, that, needs to be. That's a job. <laughs> that's like a job. That, that definitely, I could see how that would take the fun out of some of that stuff for sure. But at the same speed, it's ultimately the end result is totally worth it, especially if you ask the general population, I'd say. Yeah. But, um, yeah. <laughs> I think it's good for like the, a lot of people. And that was the idea. Yeah. 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 Something yeah, that no, would- I would like to now I'm, I would like to speed it up. So I'm hoping that 125 or even the new tail, like there are times where I want to make it a little faster. So well, I'm if you're waiting. So game was like 140 now. And okay, yeah, his daily driver is the 125. Sweet, yeah. And then the progression tail is a good bit faster as well. So you'll get more out of it for sure. Or even the 140, you get with the smaller tail, you get more out of it. It's yeah, just, the smaller tail. 
it's like thinner as well. Yeah. I've been a little reluctant to try to chop the tail because I was like, I don't know if I chop it, <laughs> especially like in summer where it's been so minimal, like, uh, being able to get through these small days. But yeah, I think maybe once that new tail comes out, then I might be more inclined to maybe chop one of the tails later on. But We'll see. Yeah. I'll have to ask you about that before I do that for sure. <laughs> I actually just dropped <laughs> the progression tails just because we're just testing a bunch of stuff. And the 14.5 chop, chop with just the tips off is pretty mental. It's not going to be for everybody, but it gets, I mean, you lose some stability and you gain a lot of speed. Nice. It's cool. It's on the, that with the 200 yesterday it was really good. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. I need to, <laughs> I need to get over my, I got rid of all my big foils. Now my, my biggest foil is a 925 and then that, that progression 140. So I need to get back on it. Tell me you don't downwind sup without telling me you don't downwind sup. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I did the same thing. I had like no, no big foils and now I just love them. No, I know. And I was like, man, I'm going to try to wing this fall. Like once we get more wind again and I'm like, I got to get a big wing again. I'm like, because I remember kite foiling was the same thing when I learned. So yep. I did take out the the 140 kite foiling and right before a storm blew in last, I don't know, it was like a week or two ago. And that was some of the most spectacular crashes I've had in a long time. Because it just, I was like lit. Oh, and I that And I took that foil to its like speed limits, at least for my weight. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> That's rad. Well, I know you got something coming up here in about, 20 minutes so let's wrap yeah, you're gonna head to work <laughs> yeah. to go knock people out yeah what do you want to leave folks with and thank you so much for doing this it's actually really good just to hang out for a while yeah absolutely yeah yeah we'll have to get a session in soon for sure uh, yeah no i just wanted to know thank you for having me on and i don't know I, I just want hopefully everybody just takes away like it's amazing this kind of thing that we share and like to be able to do it all the time and it's just like okay relish in that and just stay healthy and try to keep doing it as long as possible because it is it's pretty cool it's pretty special i'd say and and i'm stoked that my little space coast foil crew over here which i guess was little but it's definitely not little anymore has it's kept us all tight-knit and pushing it and then if my wife of course who lets us invade the house and with a drone and a couple of drones and surf all morning and so i wanted to say thanks to her for sure for being amazing as well awesome but yeah thanks eric yeah man thank you so much this is the progression project podcast deconstructing foiling flow and the learning process with your host eric antonson